Hello, and I so incredibly apologize for not having podcasts being released in the new year. However, like all good plans, I went on vacation in December. I was so excited. I was ahead of the game, and I came home to an incredible weather shift, having spent a couple of weeks in Australia visiting friends that I haven't seen in over seven years and just got hit with the worst cold virus. And my voice was horrible. And I I just really felt under the weather. So apologies for the delay in getting you the high quality content that I, I know you've come to appreciate here from Beyond the Stethoscope podcast. But with all of that said, I wanted to give you a quick update on all the amazing things to be expecting from Beyond the Stethoscope. And also, Get the show notes directly to your email inbox by going to pauseconsulting.com, P-A-W-S, consulting.com forward slash show notes, all one word. And there will be links right there in the show notes. No worries if you weren't able to jot that down. So what to expect in 2020 from beyond the stethoscope? we're going to be focusing our efforts in a few new areas this year as well. And this is all based on the feedback from listeners just like you. So if you have any other comments or feedback, feel free to send that to me at Angela at pauseconsulting.com. So we're going to be focusing in the areas of career, career transition, leadership development, as we have in the past, as well as on wellness topics. And we're working right now on collaborations in the public health space. So we will be reviewing public health policy. We'll be taking a look at it from how does public health policy impact the economy and and having some really vibrant discussions there to help you all as voters and also to support our first-time political candidates. Another group of podcasts over the next couple of months is on my journey to write a book. I have been asked by my publisher to podcast on what it's like to write a book. So these will be my unfiltered thoughts in real time as I'm writing my book. So some of them may be marked E for explicit. Some of them may be really upbeat and happy, and some might you know, be a little more jaded or sarcastic. And you'll really get a look into what it really feels like to be writing a book. And I know so many of you are actually thinking about taking on this endeavor as well. So to start us off, I thought it would be great to revisit the episode with Sarah Gardner on publishing and publishing houses. How can I start this podcast series without first talking about how to find a publisher? Where do we start? And I think obviously to start, we need to think through what is the topic for the book, get together, what's your pitch for the book, outline some chapters, things like that. But without further ado, let's take a look back at this absolutely great podcast with Sarah Gardner and how she's elevating diverse voices through publishing. 
to Beyond the Stethoscope, the podcast for veterinarians, healthcare providers, and busy professionals who want actionable, implementable solutions surrounding work-life balance, accomplishing your goals, and living your dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Angela Demery. I am super excited to continue my series on entrepreneurship with busy professionals who are living the life of their dreams. We are here today with Sarah Gardner, the founder and editor-in-chief of Nanny Goat Press. For the last two years, Nanny Goat has served as the community bookseller for downtown Louisville, and they are making the leap into medium press publishing. As a multimedia storytelling startup, they seek to give creative equity back to the storyteller and promote underrepresented voices. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Sarah, can you share a little bit about your career path with our listeners? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to to speak with the listeners and with you, Angela. So I have been publishing the last probably about five or six years, uh, working freelance and with a handful of different small presses. So, you know, I, I know the industry pretty well. And about two years ago, we started Nanny Goat Books, which is a brick and mortar indie bookstore here in Louisville. Uh, that was sort of a, a spontaneous decision for me, which is sort of a unique way of opening a bookstore. It's not how many people do it, but um, I know the industry pretty well. And, and over the last year or two, we grew and, and we've been growing each, each year so far. And, and I knew that I wanted to give a voice to the voiceless writers that have been seen coming through our doors. So, you know, we decided to take the plunge and, and launch into this publishing house that we're starting right now. Well, that is so exciting. And I know absolutely nothing about bookstores or publishing or any of these things. So if you could uh, share a little bit about you know, what is small or medium press or, you know, publishing? Can you kind of walk us through um, the difference between like a brick and mortar bookstore versus a publishing house and kind of what each of those different things do and and how you've sort of combined them all under one roof? Yeah. um, So we started our brick and mortar bookstore, which is just a small independent, you know, your neighborhood bookstore, Um, you know, similar to, any in your neighborhood or, you know, I mean, technically Barnes and Noble, those, those types of places are brick and mortar as well. Um, they're just a bit more, they're, they're a bit bigger. They're a bit more of the box, you know, retailer. Um, but we pride ourselves in being an indie bookstore, just sort of non, we don't have a chain. Uh, we're not associated with any major corporation, just, just me and just the team. Um, so we're on the retail end of things. Uh, and retail book sales have been actually increasing. You know, people people assume in the in the age of Amazon that people aren't buying books anymore, but they actually are. They're they're buying books more than almost they ever have before. Um, each year is increasing in book sales four to five percent over the last five years. So we you know we're seeing a huge uptick in people who actually want to read and people who actually want to buy and purchase physical copies of books, uh, but also eBooks and audiobooks and podcasts and, and everything under the sun. So that's where the publishing house comes in. Uh, while we have a retail outlet, we are also working with, you know, working to gain the publishing side of things. And, you know, our tagline has, has kind of become, we want to revolutionize and disrupt the way stories are told and sold. You know, we want to tell stories across a huge platform 
uh, one story can go in every different direction, whether it's YouTube, whether it's an audiobook, whether it's a physical print book. We have self-publishers with the age of Amazon. We introduced the, the small publisher, which is and self-publisher, which is just someone who submits their book to Amazon totally for free. Oftentimes they are unedited. Oftentimes they have covers that kind of make you cringe. Uh, They have have a good story a lot of time. So they just don't have the ability of a major publishing house to have the editors in-house, the cover designers in-house, you know. So they don't have a team behind them. Uh, We're trying to bridge that gap and say, we can get you the professionals who know how to do that work while also keeping it economically feasible for you to make money on your book, which a lot of self-published people in small presses do make a lot of money. So we're trying to bridge that gap between what is the income diversity between those two without being as bloated as a major publishing house. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know so many of us hear about these authors with these $100,000 a year book deals or the $100,000 book deals, probably not per year, but some sort of a crazy advance. And, and we're all just kind of eyes wide open and head spinning. And can you sort of put that into some sort of tangible explanation of, of what that actually looks like to the author or for, you know, the life of that book or, you know, is that like a once in a lifetime thing? Does that happen pretty regularly? Is that when, when you say, you know, these publishing houses are so bloated and they're giving these huge advances, like how does that actually look and feel to an author? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we hear all the stories of someone like Nora Roberts or, you know, James Patterson or Stephen King who are worth literally hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, they, Nora Roberts is one of my favorite stories in that she was, I believe in her forties when her first book came out and she's now worth over, I think it was $250 million. I mean, huge careers, huge successes, but for the average author, the average author will not make their money back on their advance. The majority of authors never make their advance money back. So the way an advance works is, You know, publishing house says, we think you can sell this many books. We're just going to give you like sort of an upfront because for a lot of authors, it's the first paycheck for two to three years of work that's gone into the manuscript. So they say, here's your first paycheck for this book. We hope you'll make more. We think you will make more. But, you know, we we recognize that you have not had any income on this work in probably about two years. So here is our check to you. And and an advance typically is probably around the ten to fifty thousand range for most authors. Um, so they, you know, they get that check and the book goes to print and they hope and pray that at the end of the day they will end up selling enough books that that advance is paid off because they will not make a penny more at the end of the day unless unless their percentage of the profit from that publisher over overcomes the advance level. So like, let's say, you know, their advance is $50,000. At the end of the day, they have to have, have made a profit enough on their, you know, six, 10%, whatever it is, they're cut on the profit. They have to get, they have to hit that level and they don't make another dime more until they hit that level and overcome it. So for a lot of people, I mean, they just never, they never get past their advance. And, and we're trying really hard to say, okay, we want you to have a check while you're working. It's really hard to, to work for two years and not get it, not see a penny for that work. We want to make sure you have an income during that time, 
but also, you know, you, you deserve a little bit of, of extra equity in your sales because, you know, if you, if you work for two years and don't get a bit more than what you thought you were going to get, I mean, 50,000 on two years worth of work is, that's nothing, you know, I mean, that's, that's difficult to live on, especially given what they're contributing to society, contributing to their own work. So it's, it's, it's a complicated system and we're really trying to disrupt the way it's currently being managed. Yeah. And what does that disruption look like, Sarah? Yeah. So we we're trying to give equity back. That's a big, a big stakeholder. So for the average author in a major publishing house, they get about six to 8% of profit for their book. And that six to 8% of, you know, what the publisher sells the book for, which is not even account for the distributor or the bookstore that sells it in the end, you know, that's, you know, maybe a, a $6 book at the end of the day on their part. Uh, so we're trying to give a bit more equity back to them. We're, we're hoping to get closer to the 50, 50, you know, it's difficult to, to hit that always, but to give a bit more back toward them in that way and sort of equalize the gap and say, you know, we, we want to promote you not only in the book, but also in things like we want you on, we want you on YouTube. We want you in podcasts. We want you on Instagram. And at this day and age, all of those platforms are storytelling platforms and all of them have money and dollar signs attached to each view possible. So not only are we going to sell your book, we're going to sell your audiobook, your podcast, your, you know, whatever. We're going to have all in one agents for your one story to get in every platform possible and to make money in every platform possible. Your story and your resource can go as far and wide as you dream. We just ask that you promote yourself too. That we we require authors to do a little bit of the groundwork themselves. They need to be talking to people. They need to be people who are good on social media and hustling. You know, it, it's a we're in a we're in a world where hustling on social media or in real life networking it's vital because people love people. We just want to get their stories out. Oh, I love that. People love people. We just want to get their stories out. Isn't that so true? We're always scrolling on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and saying, oh, that person's so interesting. Oh, I'd like to learn more. Or, you know, can I buy their book? Can I listen to their book on audio? I just, I really love that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think that's, that's the big thing is we are in a world where we are oversaturated with you know, influencers and story. I mean, there is a story around every corner. What I think my readers and our listeners and, and the people that follow, you know, our brand want is a curation. You know, they want to know, okay, this has gone through our test. These people are, they don't have a ton of typos in their book. They're not, you know, lying to your face. Like they have passed all of our standards. Here's our stamp of approval. And in a world where you are oversaturated with stories, like here's, you know, here's what we recommend. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, when I sit down with a book, all I want is what my friend has recommended me, or I, I want to hear what the person I trust has recommended me to read. Because, you know, it's hard to choose when you're in, you know, when you have a thousand options at your fingertips, but you want that personalized recommendation, you know? So Sarah, that's such a fantastic thought. And, you know, you mentioned, or I mentioned in your bio that you want to elevate underrepresented voices. Can you give us an idea of what that looks like or whose voices are underrepresented right now and how we can elevate those stories? 
Absolutely. So um, at the moment, you know, we're in a, we're, we're in a world where stories are, you know, we have a plethora of options to, to hear stories that even today, no matter how many advances we've had in civil rights and in gay rights, like we don't have enough queer authors. We don't have enough writers of color on our shelves. It is difficult to get the major publishing houses still, which traditionally look a certain way, and they always have, to take a chance on someone. And when they do take a chance on an underrepresented author, they're kind of the golden ticket. Um, and I'm using air quotes there. I hope that was, you know, it's, it's they're their golden ticket who, you know, they're their path to say, well, we have this author, you know, on our shelves. Um, but there is really no major press that is focused on queer writers, writers of color, and honestly, writers who socioeconomically are not able to go to an MFA. An MFA has traditionally been the biggest way to get into a major publishing house. That is the standard to get you to Penguin Random House, to get you to, you know, all of the, even source books, you know, all the major publishers, they want a master's of fine arts degree to get you into their system. But for a lot of people, that $100,000 to even get to that level is unheard of. That's not something they will ever be able to do. So we want to give their story a chance because they're amazing writers who just because the way they were, you know, because of their lottery in life, they weren't able to afford a $100,000 master's degree. Uh, and but their story is not any less important. So that's sort of what we're gearing toward is, is giving a voice to people who honestly just weren't given a shot in the history of publishing at this point. I mean, up to this point, there's been no ability for voices outside of the traditional academia, white, you know, typically male, the, the industry is, is very male heavy. And we're, we're looking to give those, to give other writers a chance and a shot to make just as much money in the stories they're telling because their stories are just as important. That is so incredibly true. And I, I think what you're doing is so powerful and, and so important. You know, just thinking a step further, you know, you mentioned about giving authors a voice who are underrepresented or don't have the economic ability to go get that master of fine arts degree. Are you also offering either writing classes or doing ghostwriting for those folks that have a really powerful story, but don't really know how to write or aren't a trained writer in this traditional publishing house sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is one of the biggest things that a publishing house typically requires a fully edited, you know, complete to the T, all eyes, all eyes crossed and all T's dots, you know, um, and, and, and back and forth, uh, manuscript that just says, here's my story. And here's what I, you know, here we've gone through 10 edits. We've gone through, I've done every grammar class possible to get us to the best of its ability. Um, they typically require that for even the beginning of their editing process and their publication process. Um, and you know, that's just not how most people work. That's usually what an MFA does. So people go to a master's degree to go through a two year process to perfect their work. Uh, so people who cannot afford that master's do not have a two year system in which they're all they are doing is perfecting their manuscript. And we recognize that. And, and, I mean, I've written enough. I've written for the last 10 years. 
I know that there are always things you can change, you can add, you can work on. A manuscript is never perfect and it's never done. So we're taking people and if they have a good story, we will help them no matter what process they're in, their story deserves to be told. So that is whether it is ghostwriting because they are just not talented at putting words to a page. Those are two different, you know, telling a story verbally versus putting words to a page. Those are two very different talents. And we recognize both of those individually and equally. Uh, so if you are good at one, but you're not good at the other, we will help you. We will find people to work with you, uh, to lend a hand, to guide you through the process, and then, you know, partner with you to get your story to the, you know, drag it across the finish line. You know, it's, it's important that at the end of the day, your that each person's story is told, no matter what their ability is, what their education level is, uh, where they are at in life. All stories deserve to be projected as big as we can possibly make them. So incredibly awesome. So um, tell us a little bit about if people are interested in what you're doing and the stories you're curating, how can they find you? How can they connect with you? Are there stories that have been through this process yet? Or are you looking for stories? So we are looking for stories. We are in a current open submission uh, season. So anyone who, who has a story, who has anyone to recommend, anything at all, please let us know. All of our info is on our website. Um, we are also taking submissions. I mean, we're taking submissions. If you want to find me in the street, if you want to mail us a copy, whatever you want, we, we want to hear from you. So all of our info is on our website, but we, you know, we're, we're in a place where we are currently, we're working with a system currently where we are taking previously published works, currently copyright free works, republishing them at the moment and using the generated income from those sales to funnel back into current day authors. So all those writers came from a hundred years ago. So they're all deceased. Uh, All the works were, you know, are copyright free. We're, We're funneling that income stream back into current writers. So we have this amazing pot of history giving back to current storytellers and we need some storytellers. So please, please reach out. We are launching a subscription service uh, coming in 2020. We're going to be doing a book of the month club, all the things. So please sign up for mailing list. We have so much information coming, but also send us your stories. Let's get, let's get you published. And where can they send the stories to? And, and what's your website? Yeah. So our website is nanny goat books at nanny And then our email is nanny at gmail.com. So they can send it there. Uh, my name is Sarah Gardner. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, please reach out whatever way possible. Yeah, great. And we'll make sure we put all those links in the show notes, as well as how they can connect with you and follow you on social media as well. Is that all at Nanny Goat Books? It is all at Nanny Goat Books. We are lucky enough to have a unique name. (laughs) Wonderful. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? You know, I just appreciate uh, people listening and I appreciate, you know, the time to tell sort of our mission. It's, it's important to me that we, you know, as a, as a society, I think the best way we connect is through the stories we share. Um, I heard a great quote recently that was, you know, the last job on earth will be the storyteller. Even at the end of the day, when tech takes over, when, I mean, the last thing on earth is the 
person around the campfire telling a story. So I'm trying to really value and we really value the stories we can tell. So we just appreciate everyone listening, everyone supporting and your time. Oh, well, I absolutely love that. And I was just thinking about that the other day about the stories that my grandma used to tell us and how we used to go out on the back porch and she showed us what the different plants were and what mint looked like and picked a leaf and showed us that we could eat it. I mean, you know, in this day and age of technology, I I feel like, are we getting so busy that we're not actually telling these stories and connecting at that level anymore? And so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you around that idea of the storyteller and that community and that connection and and how can we empower people to be able to tell their stories and elevate their voices. So very cool. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess I would just end on the fact that, you know, we've, we've had this conversation the last couple of years in the book industry about the fact that eBooks versus print books, you know, there's, it's been seen as this like, West Side Story sort of rivalry of print versus versus text. It's a it's a gang fight for who's going to win the street. And at the end of the day, a story can exist in both worlds. We don't have to fight. We can benefit each other, and we can work together to to make this thing profitable and economically stable for all of our storytellers, no matter what platform you view the story on. So incredibly true. And I think people are even reading and listening to books on all of the platforms simultaneously now, or I know some of my favorite books, I've actually bought a hard copy to put on my bookshelf so I can have a tangible form to review and flip back through while I'm driving down the road, I'm listening to the audiobook, or if I'm traveling, I might pick up the Kindle on my phone. <laughs> so, um, exactly. You know, one story goes in every direction. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much for that. And now it's time for my favorite part of every episode, our five questions segment. Are you ready, Sarah? I am. Bring it on. (laughs) All right. We know that the most successful and happy people have either a morning or an evening routine. What do you do each morning or evening that sets your day up for success? Well, I am a self-diagnosed uh, night owl. I do not sleep usually before 2 a.m. any night. It's just from the time I was 15, I just could not go to bed early. I used to get yelled at in class every morning when I have to wake up you know, at 6 a.m. For, for school. But no, at this point, I have really leaned into it. Our store is open. You know, I, I have flexible hours. So I have leaned into my ability to just say, you know what, this is my schedule. And, and from midnight until 2 a.m., I take me time. Uh, it's, the, it's the time in my, in my day where the world is a little bit quieter and I can answer the emails I need to answer. I can, I can take things at a slower pace, but they are, it's, it's Sarah time. You know, it's, it's my time when no one's going to call me to disrupt me, but I can do the things I need to do. I love that. You know, we're all so unique and have our unique skill sets and daily rhythms and everything. And and so to be able to just say, you know what, this is me. This is what works for me. And instead of getting up at 3am, I'm just going to stay up till two and then I'm going to sleep in and my store is going to benefit. And I've just kind of worked it all out. So very cool perspective. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. What's question number two? Bring it on. All right. So, so often I think people conflate definitions of success and happiness. You know, when I get 
to X, Y, and Z, then I will be happy. So I like to ask these questions separately. So for question number two, what's your definition of success? That's a hard one. I've been thinking about this one a lot. Um, I think for me, success is at the end of the day, walking away from a day saying, okay, I did my best. I feel good about how I ended the, how I closed the day, but also recognizing that I'm an entrepreneur. I am someone who is always going to thirst for more. I consider myself someone who yearns for more always. Uh, so success is always going to be sort of on the brink for me. It's, but, and that's in that I've had to learn to really take it day by day rather than saying, you know, when I get to this, when I make a million dollars in this project or when I do this thing, like those will never satisfy me. And I've, I've had to recognize that in myself to say, okay, but today was good. And today I checked my boxes and that's worth it for me. And question number three, what's your definition of happiness? Happiness is, is pretty similar to me, which is, you know, I might need to, you know, check in with that. But to me, happiness is just feeling okay. I think happiness is that feeling at the end of the day when you walk out of your work, when you walk out of a meeting and the sun hits your skin and you just feel warm because you did what you needed to do and you're okay with where you're at and you can see a future, but you're also glad to just be in the moment. To me, happiness is just being in the moment and, and accepting it for what it is and valuing every second of the day. Question number four, what do you know now that you wish you would have known 10 years ago? Hmm, that's a good one. Uh, honestly, that life goes on. You know, I think we've all had our trips. We've all had our falls. We've all had our failures. I know I have at least professionally, personally, in every, in every regard. You have things you want to, you wish you could have done over two days later. But my best knowledge is that, you know, it's okay. No one's going to remember it except for you, or at least that's what we tell ourselves. And that at the end of the day, there is always so much more out there that if you, if you had a trip, if you had a fall, dust back up, shake yourself off and move forward because there's, there are 20 more falls that you're going to have to have before you get to the success. And that's okay. So incredibly true. And number five, what do you think is the biggest issue facing busy professionals today? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> How much time do you have on this podcast? As much um, as we need, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think probably the biggest issue we have is lack of connectivity. We, are, we have so many channels right now with, with tech, with, with phone. I mean, we have, I'm, I, today I was on five different apps just talking to people in my same group. I had... 12 different conversations going with the same people with the same, you know, team of five people on different channels. It's, it's, there's constant conversation going, but there's not connectivity. And that's, that's where I really think we need to, we need to grow. We need to, you know, get better is, is taking a day or a night or, you know, a week, whatever it is to just say to your team, to your people around you, to people you love, like, let's turn our phones off. Let's go out to dinner. Let's have a drink, whatever it is. Let's just look each other in the eyes and let's reconnect because, you know, we can get bogged down in the tweets across our screen or the, you know, voice memos on our phone. 
but we're not actually listening to each other at that point. What a great point and and so incredibly true. I, I think connectivity and, and community and just that in-person connection, right? We're connect we're more connected than we've ever been before, arguably from like a technology standpoint. But yeah, it's like you're so right. I actually took like a hiatus from um Facebook and social media for about two years to try to remember what it was like before I had a cell phone. <laughs> like, oh yeah. No, I was, I was off Facebook for six years uh, until I had to start the, you know, until I, the yeah. business and I had to re-log back in and to, to make that page. But honestly, my biggest benefit for me is that, or the thing that I found the most helpful for me as a professional is Mondays are my day off, which is really hard in the world of Monday through Friday work week because everyone wants to get going on Mondays, you know, uh, that is the day everyone's seeing all their emails, but that is, you know, I work the weekend. So, you know, I've had to turn my phone off and just put it on, put my notifications on mute and say, Hey guys, like I will get back to you tomorrow. Uh, so I've been saying my Monday is just in person with people and driving around, seeing my friends, seeing coworkers, but you know, having, having breakfast and lunch with people and, and it's it's totally different when you when you turn your phone away and you look someone in the eye, you get so much of a more satisfying experience. At least, you know, for this introvert experience, you know, it's it's hard to connect people sometimes in person, but it is vital. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today, Sarah. You have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Beyond the Stethoscope. I hope you are inspired to take actionable steps towards accomplishing your goals and living your dreams. If you really enjoyed this conversation, or if you'd like to talk more on ending overwhelm in every aspect of your life, or even setting up boundaries, or how do I have more clarity and know what my passion in life really is, then hop on over to Facebook and join us in the Busy Professionals Who Thrive tribe. I can't wait to see you there.